By the way, thank you to everyone who set all this up this morning after church. We appreciate that. I know it takes quite a while to do it. We're going to have a, a time for questions at the end of this. I'm going to uh, speak for a bit, and then Steve uh, is also going to talk about some things, and then we'll have a time for questions and comments. But let me just pray uh, before we look at this. Uh, we thank you that Jesus is Lord of the church, and as a church we want to honor him in everything that we do. So as we think tonight about reaching out to others with the good news about Jesus, and if we have time for discussion and questions, I pray that our thinking and our discussion will all uh, honor Jesus, and that as a church we will be able to honor him more in the way that we uh, reach out and the way that we think about reaching out to others. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Today we're looking at the third of our core commitments as a church. We've already looked at faithfulness to God's word. We said that that has to come first. That has to be in place or the other things are not going to fall into place. Then last time, we spoke about care for one another and the challenge that that is in a group of any kind of size and the need for all of us really to be involved in that. And then this evening we come to growth by making disciples, the last one. Now obviously none of these three commitments are novel ideas in any way. Evangelism certainly is the novel idea. Even if we don't do evangelism, all of us know that we're supposed to be doing it. But I want us to think for a few moments about the way this is worded. Growth by making disciples. Not just growth by having more people coming into the building, but growth by having more people who love Jesus and who are committed to following Jesus. And just to be clear, the church of Jesus Christ is commanded to make disciples. Here's what we're told at the end of Matthew's Gospel. This is the risen Jesus appearing to his 11 disciples. That's 12 minus Judas at this point. This is what Matthew tells us. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. According to Jesus, that is the church's mission. The church is not here, according to Jesus, to form political parties or community cleanup teams. The church is not here to provide debt counseling services or legal advice. Now, individual Christians may have a burden to do those things, and they may band together to do them. Those are all good things, but the church's mission is to make disciples. And we can't duck out of that command. Nor can we allow ourselves to be distracted from that command into other good things that are not making disciples. So the command is pretty clear. I think we, most of us would know that passage very well. But we immediately need to add to that 
and realize we don't have the ability to make disciples. Only God can do it. The Bible tells us we're all born deaf and blind and dead to the good news about Jesus. And only God can bring dead people to life. This is what Paul tells the Christians in Ephesus. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even while we were dead in transgressions. So clearly we had nothing to do with making ourselves spiritually alive. And Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. The book of Acts tells us when men and women responded to the gospel, it was because God granted them repentance that leads to life. So in Acts 11, the Christians in Jerusalem say, this is in response to a report from Peter, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So strictly speaking, none of us had anything to do with making ourselves alive in Christ. When we chose Christ, it was because he had chosen us first and called us and showed us our sin, which we don't tend to recognize by ourselves. And also showed us Christ's ability to deal with our sin. When you and I repented and turned from our sin, it was because God had first granted us repentance. Now why am I emphasizing that? I emphasize it because I think that liberates us. It relieves us of an impossible burden. Not the burden of sharing the good news, but the burden of thinking that it's on us to change people's hearts. If people are going to come to spiritual life, then Jesus has to step in and make them alive. And recognizing that truth forces us to depend on Jesus. People will only be saved from their sin if he comes in mercy and saves them in spite of themselves in spite of their deadness and rebellion. But on the other hand, if we think that we can save people, we begin to put our faith in techniques or methods to get the evangelism done. And that is a dangerous thing. It's not dangerous because techniques or methods never work. It's dangerous because they can work. They can get more bums on seats. Methods can produce growth in numbers. They can even produce decisions for Christ. But they can't produce disciples of Christ. As I was preparing for this, I listened to a sermon called False Conversions, The Suicide of the Church. The main point of that sermon was that trying to conjure up decisions for Christ is a disastrous approach. Why? Because it might work. And if it works, it will fill our churches with people who might have made some sort of decision for Christ, but who haven't actually been made new by Christ. 
And when a church is full of people like that, people who've been swayed by the cool presentation or the cool presenter or the promise of a stress-free life, maybe, whatever's been used to get people to decide for Jesus, when a church is full of people who've been won over by human cleverness, then it's full of men and women who are still in rebellion against Christ. They may have taken up religion as a sort of hobby or to give them an emotional boost every week or just to make friends. But they haven't become disciples of Jesus Christ. They don't love God, not really. Not when things are going badly. They don't love God's word. They don't love to obey his word. They don't love holiness. They don't really love the rest of the church. And they don't hate sin. But they think they're going to heaven. Because they said a prayer once. And that is a nightmare situation. So when we're tempted to look for a silver bullet that will get people saved, let's remember there is no silver bullet. Actually, there is, but it's in God's hands. Only God can make people new. Only God can give them hearts that love to obey him. And so we would all love to see this church packed. I'm sure we would. But only with genuine disciples. A church packed with false converts because we'd won them by some clever technique, that would be miserable. It would be miserable for the people who think they're Christians but aren't. It would be miserable for all the rest of us who are trying to have fellowship with people who think they're Christians but aren't. And I would just add to that on a side note, I know we can be incredibly eager sometimes, but please don't ever pressure people towards baptism. Sometimes if a person seems to be showing interest, we can be all over them like a rash with all the best of intentions, asking when they're going to get in the water. The people who are interested can approach the elders at any time. And when someone does that, we'll always make an invitation from the front for any others who might be interested. So let's leave it at that and let people come forward for baptism when they're ready. Steve said in one of his sermons recently that apart from saving faith, baptism just gets people wet. And we're not interested in just getting people wet. We want to see genuine disciples who have counted the cost. We don't have the ability to make disciples. And the great thing is, once we realize that, we're freed up to present the gospel clearly and unapologetically. We're free to focus on telling the truth. I don't think recognizing our limitations hinders our evangelism at all. I think it sets us free to do evangelism. Because we don't have to worry about putting on the perfect show or planning the most outstanding event or the mind-blowing presentation that's going to get people into the kingdom.
We don't have to worry about having the killer answer to everybody's tough question. No, in big groups and in small groups and one-to-one, we can just simply, clearly, and patiently tell people the truth. The truth about sin and the future, heaven or hell, and the truth about salvation in Christ. We can call people to repent and believe. And if people are offended by our message, if they lose interest, that may mean that we've been offensive. It may mean we've been boring. But equally, it may mean the person we're talking to loves darkness rather than light. We may have presented the gospel in a gentle, straightforward way. And they may have made a straightforward decision to reject the gospel. We should be deeply suspicious of any way of presenting the gospel which lowers the bar so much that all of the offense has been taken out of the gospel. If no one gets ruffled by what we say, then we're probably leaving out something that's important. Like judgment or hell. Or the call to obedience and holiness. But realizing that it's God who saves, that frees us up to present the gospel as accurately as we can. We don't have the pressure of trying to deliver a message that sinful rebels are going to love. We can just tell the truth with love. And we can ask God in desperation in our prayers to bring sinful rebels to repentance. That doesn't mean we can afford to be rude or insensitive or offhand with people. We have to have compassion. But we don't have to keep lowering the bar until people step over it. And what all this means is that I think we have to be willing to see our numbers drop in some cases when it comes to evangelistic work. So think for just a moment of all the various activities of this church that are aimed at non-believers. What if we were to decrease the fun parts of those activities, the entertainment parts, and increase the gospel content? In other words, what if the gospel bit wasn't just a five or ten minute add-on, what if it was the main thing? Would some people stop coming to those activities if we did that? Almost certainly they would. It would weed out those who were only coming for the fun bit. And we'd be left with those who are actually interested in the gospel. And I think that we should be prepared to take that approach. Now in a moment or two, Steve is going to take us through some plans for our evangelism as a church. And those plans include lower-level events that are designed to introduce people to Christians and make them feel welcome without having a full-on gospel message. And we need those kind of events. The men had one yesterday with the go-karting. The women are having one tomorrow with the bead creative night. We need those from time to time. But what I'm saying here is that we shouldn't, as a church, be running regular, week-by-week, 
week, month by month activities that are like that. We do those kind of things as a one-off a few times a year. But in our regular activities, we should move towards a stronger focus on telling the truth. Clearly and in detail. And we have to be prepared that when we do that, quite a few people might stop coming. But really, that's okay. Jesus' command is not, go and be a fun place to play games or to hear interesting presentations. Jesus' command is, go and make disciples. Not attenders, but disciples. So which do you think is more in line with the mission Jesus has given us? A weekly activity that gets 30 people to play games with a Bible bit added on. Or one that gets five people to study the Bible with maybe a game or two added on. You realize I'm trying to provoke you just a little bit here. I'm arguing, actually, that the church will grow through our work with the ones and the twos who are interested. But on the other hand, putting on a regular show for a crowd who aren't interested in our message, that sucks up a lot of our resources and energy. And it's unlikely to produce many disciples. I just mentioned our Sunday services and how they relate to all of this. Since we're called to make disciples, we have to be concerned to help people grow after they come to Christ. And that's why the Sunday teaching is mainly aimed at helping Christians to grow. We hope that it's still accessible to everybody, to non-believers, even if they don't buy into what they're hearing. We try to make it as clear as we can. And in fact, teaching for Christians is most of the time going to focus on the gospel too. We never grow out of our need to hear the gospel. We never stop needing the truth that we're sinners only saved by God's grace. That's true if we've been a Christian for a month or 50 years. And it's focusing in on the gospel that helps us grow in our obedience and holiness and so on. So a non-Christian listening to teaching that's for Christians should still be pointed to Jesus. Then I just want to mention as a next point, this is really an introduction to what Steve is going to say, that we have to plan to tell the truth. All that I've said shouldn't take away from the fact that we do have to plan. The Apostle Paul was a planner. Paul had strategies for his evangelism. And I know Steve's going to mention that. And we have to have strategies too. If we don't plan to evangelize, we won't evangelize. That's true as individuals and as a church. So like Paul, we plan. And also like Paul, we don't put our faith in our plans. We plan well, as well as we can. We commit ourselves to carrying out those plans. And then we pray desperately for God to work. One final point. 
Making disciples is messy and inconvenient. I'm not going to develop this, but I think it's worth reminding ourselves that we pray for God to work, and sometimes when he does, when new disciples come to life, amazingly, what we find is that our church life has just got a lot more uncomfortable. New disciples have lots of rough edges. They don't know the routine. They don't know where all of us like to sit. They often say the wrong things. And their lives are not nice and tidy. So as we pray for new disciples, let's be asking God to change us too. Let's ask God to make us more considerate towards others and more aware of our own imperfections, our own need of grace. And let's ask God to help us stick with people. Let's ask him to help us rejoice that he's at work, even if it does make our lives more uncomfortable. That's all I plan to say. At this point, I'm going to hand over to Steve, and then when Steve is finished, we'll have questions or comments at the end. All right, well, I'm not going to... Um, I just wanted to say that when I'm producing a plan or like a strategy, just to emphasize what Tim was saying, I'm not giving you a magic bullet and I'm not giving you um, something that, uh, like when, when I worked in a business, whenever I heard strategy, all I could think of, there was a management and a director up here telling me to do something that they've got no idea how it can be done. And in the same kind of way, mission isn't the elders doing this for the church or the elders telling you to do something that can't be done. So the purpose of the plan is to facilitate the church so that they can do mission effectively and uh, with purpose to reach people for Christ. And whenever I hear, hear strategy, I always get a bit like, oh, you know, it's like business speak. But just to emphasize um, that's the strategy. There's Paul's missionary journeys up there. He didn't just wander around um, the Middle East and just preaching the gospel wherever he just happened to end up. He did plan where he was going to go. He was led by the Holy Spirit, of course, but he planned it. He went where God led him to be, not just um, aimlessly wandering around, like I said. And the other thing, before I show you anything else, is to emphasize that all mission is underpinned by prayer and by proclamation. So everything we do should be earnestly prayed about and for, and everything we do should be with the ultimate aim of proclaiming the gospel. And we said when we looked at Mark's gospel last week, that why did Jesus come? It wasn't just so that he could heal or eliminate demons from people or anything like that. The reason Jesus came, he said, for this reason I've come, that I may preach. He came to preach, didn't he? To proclaim the good news of the kingdom. And that's what we're aiming to do as well. So this is, um, as I showed Steve Catchman this, and he said you can take Steve out of IT, but you can't take the IT out of Steve. And maybe that's true with my diagrams. But um, 
hopefully this is helpful in um, f- facilitating what we're doing as mission. Now, everything that we do as a church should have a purpose. So we shouldn't ever be doing anything, whether that's a one-off event or a week-by-week uh, event that is just being maintained for the sake of maintaining it. Everything should have a purpose. So you may say, well, what was the purpose of the men going go-karting yesterday? Good question. What was the purpose? Well, yes, we did have a good time. Um, if I didn't have one of the go-karts, I definitely would have won the go-karting. So part of the reason was that we could go and win and we could have fun and all that kind of stuff. But the purpose was, it was in this diagram, what I would call uh, a green event. That is, an event that's purpose is to make contacts and build relationships with other people, uh, specifically that are not Christians, so that we can invite them later on to something a bit more, um, uh, uh, to an event where the gospel can be proclaimed. So, for example, we went go-karting yesterday. We had a couple of guys there that were not Christians, um, never been to church before, and know nothing of Christ. Okay, So, they came, they met non-Christians there. They were able to speak to them. We had good banter and all that kind of stuff. So when we, at Easter, are aiming to have a meal, which is here, an Amber event, that's an event where we can invite people to, but there'll be a gospel message there. It's not a church service as such, but there is a message. And uh, we're hoping at Easter time, as Megan mentioned this morning, for the ladies and for the uh, men as well, to have a meal that we can invite people to and that there's a gospel message. But, because we had a green event first, you can invite people and say, well, you know such and such because you saw them at the go-karting, for example. Okay, so the purpose of the green event is to build the relationship so we can get to an event where we can proclaim the gospel. Okay, so an amber event is an event that, yes, is fun and we do something um, to generate interest to get people to come, but there is an intention of having a gospel message so people can hear about Jesus. And then I've got some red squares up there. Uh, red events, if you like, are ones <coughs> that are purely proclaiming the gospel. So for example, I've got here Christianity Explored. Uh, we advertise Christianity Explored uh, and we hope and pray that people come. And they come along um, and it's purely so that we can present the gospel. That's the whole purpose of coming to Christianity Explored. When we have an Amber event, yes, we have an invitation to come to Christ, but we also have an invitation to come to find out more at Christianity Explored, because often people aren't ready there and then to make commitments, they want to find out more. We're in a society where people are growing up and they know nothing of Jesus, so they can hear about him, but just want to find out more, and that's where we come to Christianity Explored. I've also got um, an uh, some other scenarios. So say someone has Christianity explored and afterwards they're not saved. They haven't come to Christ, but they want to know more. Well, then we can maybe do another course, for example. Or if they're not interested, there'll be other events that we put on that we can keep inviting them to. But for those that are uh, converted, um, the key message of the commitment is growth by making disciples, not by making professions of faith. So if someone comes to Christ, we don't just have a celebration and leave them. We have discipleship. And that takes time, and that takes energy, and it takes resource. But we need um, to, to be doing that because people need to grow and know the basics 
of the Christian life. When people are saved, they don't know uh, often how to live for Christ. And in fact, we all need to grow in that area, don't we? That's why we have um, regular Bible teaching all the time. So that's just, uh, I guess, a high level of what any event we do should fit into one of these kind of categories. So what we currently do, um, every year we tend to have, uh, if you like, big mission. So the three main times we have that is Easter, when we, uh, this year we're having the meals, we're hopefully going to have a, a one-day club for the uh, for children uh, and and all that kind of thing, um, with the aim of getting people to Christianity Explored or to the Easter Sunday service. So we have a big thing at Easter. We always have uh, a big thing at Christmas. Every year we have carol services, community carols, and all that kind of thing. And we also usually, I don't know if you've always done it here, but um, we've usually done stuff where I've been in the summer holidays uh, because um, people are around. Uh, holiday clubs are great because by you know summer holidays, parents are really glad to get rid of their children for some time. So summertime's a good time to do a uh, big mission, but you can't do uh, big things all the time. It takes planning, it takes energy, uh, it takes resource, and all that kind of thing. But they're the three times a year where usually uh, we do uh, big things. And this year, for example, we've got the American team coming over in the summer. Uh, we've got the carnival where we can invite people to a holiday club, uh, and, and things like that. So they're the big things. And then we have, if you like, regular mission. Now these are things that we need to be careful that we don't just maintain for the sake of main, the sake of having them. They should all be with the aim and purpose of reaching people with the gospel. And most of these things, I would say, tend to be amber events. So they are an event at which there is a gospel message. If they're not, then we need to look at what 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 is the purpose of them. Um, I, you know, maybe that's something to think about. But with um, these kind of events, we should be having invitations to things like Christianity Explored, so that we give people the opportunity to hear more about Christ. Maybe um, if your numbers are dropping at those events, uh, you need to maybe look at why that is. But if if you've got those things on to proclaim the gospel, then maybe have something else to uh, as a green event, maybe to draw people in. But as long as that event is, the purpose is there to proclaim the gospel. That's, that's the, the key thing. Um, so that's what we tend to do all the time. And then an example, oh yeah, I've, I've said those things. An example, um, with, with one on six, <clears throat> I was thinking about how to give an example of this and I thought of one on six, which is what we do for the young people. What's the point? of one on six or the work with the young people. Well, an example of what we could do is in the slide, but the purpose of one on six is to have young people come so that they can hear the gospel. That's the, the main, uh, or should be the main purpose of one on six. So if we want people to come to one on six, there may be something we could put on as a one-off, like a barbecue, it's just an example, um, to, to meet young people, to invite them. But the purpose of the club is to proclaim the gospel. And there's a course um, for young people called Changing Lanes, which I'm wanting to start, which is, again, like Christianity Explored, that kind of thing, but for teenagers, where they can hear and understand more of the gospel. And it's just presented in a way which is relevant for them. And then, of course, we have the Youth Discipleship, which um, in a couple of weeks is starting up 
uh, on a Sunday evening every couple of weeks. And the purpose of that is to grow as Christians, to make disciples. So we're not just leaving our young people having made a profession of faith. We're helping them to grow in their faith and become more like Jesus, making disciples. And then just, and uh, this is what the thoughts are for Easter, uh, for those that are interested. We had the go-karting yesterday, but I know in the men's work, there's a games evening, I think, on the 8th of March. The women are having their bead creative tomorrow, and there might be something else before Easter that they might want to do, I don't know. But the purpose of those things are to generate uh, people to come to the meals at Easter, where there's going to be, um, I know uh, Jody Whitehouse is coming for the ladies, we're still working that out for the men, but there'll be opportunity to come and hear about Jesus, to hear the gospel. Okay, so that's the that that's what we would have there. And then from those events, we would like to see people come along to Christianity Explored. Also, uh, we've got the holiday uh, one one day event that we're going to do for children. We're hopefully going to do that before Easter Sunday, have the children do something in the Easter service, and then hopefully some parents will come to Easter and hear uh, about that. I was also thinking about doing a service on Easter Sunday in the afternoon. I was reading a blog somewhere, um, I think it was John Stevens from FIC, was talking about a church that have a Sunday afternoon service about half four, because often parents who aren't Christians, especially, are really so busy on Sunday with all the stuff they do, that the morning isn't going to work for for non-Christians. So if we're doing a gospel event, um, we should have it at a time that's going to get more non-Christians to come. So maybe as an Easter special have something in the afternoon. That's something that's uh, going uh, through my mind. And then I've got like another event afterwards that maybe people might want to come to. Um, and again, it's, it's the cycle starts again, if you see what I mean. So the, the idea is everything that we do as a church should have a purpose. We shouldn't just be doing stuff just for the sake of it, just to maintain a group. It should all be with a purpose. And that should be with the purpose of presenting the gospel to make disciples. And of course, everything that we do um, as a church should be underpinned by prayer. Because as Tim said, it is God that does the work. God is the one that saves. It's not of ourselves. I can give you this, this you know, well, what a, what a strategy kind of thing. But if we don't pray, we don't rely on God, then nothing will work. Uh, we need to really be doing that as a church and as individuals. And the other thing just to point out is that I hope this helps uh, to see as well that um, often when we talk about evangelism, um, we can feel kind of guilty because we don't always give like the most amazing gospel presentation. But there's different ways of sharing Christ. And one of the ways is just inviting people to things that are going on. And all of us can do that. We can all invite our friends, our neighbors, our family members to different things that are going on and that we can then uh, pray that through those things uh, they come to know Christ. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't be sharing Jesus. We should all be doing that. Um, you know, He should be the most exciting thing about our whole life. And if, he, if we're that excited about Christ, then we're going to want to share him, aren't we? We're easy, we find it easy to get excited about talking about floods in the southwest or football results or all these other things. We should be excited to talk about Jesus. Because if we're not excited and present him in an exciting way, then you can be sure that the others aren't going to be that excited either. 
So we need to be doing that. We can't uh, shirk that responsibility, but we must always remember, of course, that it's the Lord that does the work, and we should be praying that he does work through the efforts that we make as a church. So I think that's all I've got to say. So we can open it up for questions. So I guess you can ask either one of us, any, well, I'll say anything you want. Try and relate it to what we, ta- what we talked about. Um, so I think Nathan's got the mic. Maybe you can uh, explain uh, again what is the difference between methods and strategy. What's the difference? Methods only make people make choices, but the strategies are meant to make disciples. But in in real terms, how do they differ? Um, just so I understand the question, you're saying that... Um, what we were saying about uh, a method doesn't make a disciple, God does, but we have, I guess you would say that's a method. So if we think about strategies and we plan, our purpose is to bring, to make people disciples. That's more important to him, I think. How, how it is contrasted to what you said about people using methods. The purpose why you do it, or how you do it. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. It's it's the um, the understanding that you have when you when you do things because we, we use Christianity Explored. We think that's a great tool, and there are loads of other ones, and the the plans that Steve has put up there. But we do all of that. Knowing that it's it's God who who brings fruit from it, and I, the point was, I think that that just it takes the pressure off us in one sense, and um, it it also saves us from I guess putting pressure on people, not just ourselves but other people. I mean, Paul uh, in in Corinthians he. He was a gifted man. He, he knew how to argue and persuade, but he he did it in complete reliance on. You can see in First Corinthians two, he says we decided to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. But yet Paul still did argue and persuade, so he did it in uh, handing it over to God. I think it's that's what the difference we're getting at. Do you think that it is a barrier to our own sharing the gospel, a feeling of having pressure to get it right and be able to answer all the difficult questions? Is that, would you say that's one of the things that tends to hold us back? We don't want to open our mouths in case we make people more confused than before. 
If you want me to honestly answer that question, then no. I think it's just that we're scared, uh, generally. I think it's been one of those people that uh, Steve talks about who sits and talks about strategy all day and expects people to uh, <laughs> to kind of take it on board. It is the whole point, you're right, of having a plan around that is for people to understand why you're doing it and where it leads to. If we don't have a plan around, you know, the sorts, uh, uh, around how, how we reach people, then nothing, nothing will happen. I think often we expect it all just to sort of happen miraculously. And sometimes it does, but more often than not, like you say, with Paul's journeys, he, he thought about his audience. So, you know, depending on who he was talking to, whether they were Jews or Gentiles, depended on where he started in his sort of evangelistic message. So the Gentiles, he probably he started with creation and went all the way through. With the Jews who knew the Old Testament, he'd be t- you know, he tended to point more towards Christ sooner in his message. So I think sometimes we go into these things blindly without really thinking about what the purpose is. I guess... The only question I would have is how patient are we with our friends as far as getting them from green to amber um, and those events? Because often we get disheartened when the first invite turns in a rebuffle or even we get nobody to any amber events for so long and we're a bit easy to then sort of throw the baby out with the bathwater and say this isn't working when when often... You know, if you get one out of 20 invites, then generally speaking, that's a pretty good success. The big thing, I guess, is how, how we get the invites out. And that's always the hardest, the hardest part. So I think we probably need to think about how we encourage each other to bring along people to the green and amber events without, without fear and without the fear of failure or people thinking that we're failing because our friends haven't come. Because that's something that we've done when generally often, you know, it's, it's not the case. I'm uh, quite encouraged to, uh, to see that we have got a plan. And uh, I know that uh, I, I find it difficult talking to, to people straight off. You might not believe that part of you. Um, but it's a case of uh, us fulfilling what we're asked to do uh, when we become Christians. We're, we're asked to you know, sort of bring others to the Lord as well. And um, I, I'm very encouraged tonight to see that we've got something that you know, has been well thought out and... Uh, Hopefully, is going to be positive for us as, as we go forward. Personally, I don't see much difference between a plan and a strategy. I suppose, in a sense, uh, you can have a good strategy or a bad strategy. It depends what you're aiming for, ultimately. Just thinking of Martin's question after I'd answered it not not very well, and then you've kind of raised this basically the same question. I think maybe the difference that we were trying to get at is 
a technique in evangelism, and there are some of them out there that will say, well, do this, say that, lead the person this direction, and they will trust Christ. I think that's what we were, that's what I was trying to get at, which is in difference from this. And once you go down that route, you always leave out something that's crucial to the gospel, but that's going to cause people to uh, take offense. For example, their own sinfulness, their own uh, the fact that they're deserving judgment. I think that's what I was trying to get at, which is very different from what Steve has put on the screen. I was talking about ways that you can make sure people are going to make decisions for Christ. Does that make any uh, shed any light on the? I'm talking more about, yes, how we deal with people when we're sharing the gospel as opposed to plans for how we're going to share the gospel. It's just that word. I mean, basically, yeah. I don't see anything in the plan Yeah, I think I said technique yeah. and Steve said strategy. So that's, I think that's a bit. It's not very interesting, I gather, but I mean, effectively, when you're talking about strategy, you're thinking about where you want to get to. The plan really is how you get there. So your strategy might be to, um, you know, reach the whole of the village in some way. So that's your strategy, that's your aim. The plan is how you get from where you are today to fulfilling that, that goal. And that's really the only difference between a strategy, a plan, a plan of the building blocks which enable you to fulfill your overall strategy. So our overall strategy is to make disciples in a biblical way. The plan is up on the board as how you get the building blocks to bring people along that journey. So that's that's the difference between a strategy and a plan. In business terms, it would normally be to be number one. How do you get from number three to being number one and making a bit more money? That's the difference. Thank you. Any final comments or questions? Yep, the back. Um, I don't think the whole problem is like strategy or plan. I think the whole thing is making people feel like they're not being, I don't know, trying to convert them. Like if you're like there trying to like bang something on them, it might alienates them, doesn't it? And they're like, oh, I don't really want this. But like, if you do the green events and you like help them like become part of a thing, like they're like sitting there and they're like, I know some people now and I'm not so nervous coming. Whereas like, if like you're really nervous and you're, you know, the one person, but you go to this big event where they're trying to convert you, you like quickly feel very alienated and you're like, oh, I'm very un, un, like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> like, you're very nervous, aren't you? So, you don't really speak to anyone and you don't make any bonds or links. And then like you don't have a structure from which you can build your faith on. But if you go somewhere and you know some people and you like build some relationships through like casual fun so you can like build on that and you can have a chat because you know the person a bit and you don't feel so scared like going somewhere feeling like, <laughs> I don't know, really nervous that you don't know anyone and you can't really relate to them. You don't see them as people, you see them as people trying to force a belief on you which isn't good but if you see them as a person you can really like see like where they're coming from and where their heart lies you know what I mean yeah thank you that's
that is very helpful because I know there's a danger when we talk about strategies, like you just said, we can forget that people are real human beings. And um, I think, too, we can forget how, how frightening it is for someone to come into a new group and a new situation. So, yeah, thank you for that. And I think it's true as well that we, we, uh, when people show an interest, we share with them. But if people aren't interested, we can't try to force anything on them. Do you want to say anything? Um, yeah. Yeah, I think just to say, I think it was really, it's really that, that point's like perfectly made because people would be, God could bring anybody into the church. I'm not saying that he doesn't. But we have to bear in mind that people are coming from, um, especially growing up today, from nothing. So we can't just, we have to plan that people aren't just going to walk through those doors and we can just sit down in our church and expect people to come. And in fact, that's not a biblical model because the church always in the Bible went out. They didn't sit and expect people just to come in. So we're told to go. And this is just... Um, to facilitate the going, so we have things going on that help us to go, and uh, that people can come too. So, um, yeah, I think that's good. He's quicker in a go kart. <laughs> well, those problems we would wouldn't be there if. <clears throat> we're making friends with people. We talk to our friends. We talk about a hope. Nothing frightening. Have you got a hope? Um, and then when you make friends and then you bring them, there's a, a comfortable feeling because you, you haven't bombarded them with scriptures. You've asked them questions about life. And I think that's a good way of bringing people. I think you're right. We need to be building relationships, don't we, with people, and that's that's really really key. I think the comment you made on prayer is very valuable. We need to do have a praying spirit in all this, in any of our evangelism, to rely on God, the Holy Spirit, for all that we do. Uh, in the scriptures, we have plenty of examples of that. And I think if you follow that, we'll be tremendously encouraged. Uh, the Spirit will guide us. I don't say we rely on totally on the Spirit, but if we're nervous or feeling apprehensive, uh, God will empower us. And that can be a tremendous guidance and comfort to us. So uh, I think what you said about the Spirit is very important. Yeah, that's right. And I think just to add to that, um, we, can, we, we should never mistake evangelism as an event that we put on as a church or something that we do occasionally. Like it's, it should be our whole life. We, you know, the, what, how we pray and how we talk and how we live. We are, uh, our whole existence as a Christian should be uh, an evangelistic outreach to our friends and family and, and all that kind of thing. It's not an event. And if we mistake that, we're, we're doing it all wrong. Because <laughs> it's it, it's how we live our, our lives. We are evangelists, or we're called to be. And it's not 
not just an event. So that's help, it's helpful to think about prayer as well, because that is, is really key. Because it fits into what Tim was saying. It's the work of God, isn't it? So we need to petition the one that does the work to, to, to do it. Yeah, I actually, I actually think, uh, Johnny opened up a can of worms there because a lot of the time, when, when we think about strategies for evangelism and that, is that not just as a big foot in the backside for us to actually follow through with what Jesus has commanded us to do? You know, it's not about targeting people. It's, it's about following through with the command of Christ to, to go and to make disciples you know, by the means of baptizing, teaching and, and everything else. And more, more than targeting people to give their life to Christ, it's about inviting them into a situation where they can witness us living our lives for Christ. Because, I mean, I think that's far more effective than, than techniques or anything else, but actually witnessing firsthand how this looks in real life. Which, you know, when I came to Christ, that was one of the things, being able to, to, to see other men living it out and, and witnessing them actually following through with, with, with gospel life and seeing that it's not just church on a Sunday, but, you know, every day of the week, it, it's the same. So if, is there any more questions? Because if not, I'll give, uh, well, if I say, I was going to say I'll give thanks for the food, but if I say that, there'll be no more questions, will there? But, um, <laughs> but if anyone wants to talk any, about anything afterwards, or I've got any questions um, about anything we've said, then do, do come and see us, um, and we'll be happy to, to chat through. So let's, let's bow our heads and, and pray. Our Father, we thank you so much uh, for the gospel. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us a gospel to proclaim. And we thank you, Lord, that we can do so without fear because it's you that does the work. And we pray, Lord, that you would use the plans we have, uh, that we can reach people uh, with the good news of Jesus. We pray for our town. Uh, we pray for the surrounding areas. We pray for the places that we live, our friends, our neighbors, our families. And Lord, we ask that your spirit would be poured out and that we would see many come to know Jesus Christ as their saviour. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see the importance that is placed on each one of us to obey your command, that it's not just following a, a specific plan or doing, um, expecting other people to do the work, but that you've called each one of us to make disciples. And I pray that as we are empowered by your spirit, and as we pray for you to work, that we would see many come to know Christ. We also thank you, Lord, for the food that you've so generously provided us with and pray that we would have a good time of fellowship together now as we think about what we've heard and as we thank you for what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.